Amen. Good to see you this morning, Foundation Church. More than a feeling. Aren't you thankful that our faith is founded in just more than a feeling? Aren't you thankful that we have something in Jesus Christ? Our faith is grounded in more than emotions. And where we're feeling, good or bad, good and ugly, we have a firm foundation in Christ. Hey, um, great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, for all of our N2Y kids, you guys are dismissed. And for the rest of us, they're sticking around. So wonderful to see your faces. You can turn to the book of Colossians, whether it's on a smart tablet, smartphone, maybe you have your Bible with you. Hopefully you have one of those things. Or if you're watching online, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1. It's more than a feeling. Today is our second week as we are journeying through the book of Colossians because our faith is more than a feeling. Pastor Jeff kicked us off really well last week as he gave a brief overview of the book of Colossians, and then he also talked about the first 14 verses. And in that, he let us know that Colossians was penned by Apostle Paul around 60 AD while he was imprisoned. And it was written to the church in Coloss. And today that's a territory out in Turkey, over in the province of Asia. And as he, Pastor Jeff also alluded to last week, the, Coloss, the church in Coloss was going through some very similar things that we face even today. It is this, it's the religious relativism, the paganism, the heresy, and the false teachings. They were very rampant during that day, and they're definitely very rampant today. Very much rampant. And there's a lot of similarities that we can see. And as we start looking at this, this book written by Paul, we can take and apply the message that he was writing to them and even apply it today. And even though the church, and Paul wrote to many churches, um, during what we see in the epistles of the New Testament, the church of Colossus might not have been the most important of the churches or important city compared to some others. But let me tell you, the message that we're going to go through today is as ever important as anything you will read. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. And as this, we unfold this first chapter, we're going to get into it here in just momentarily, about the importance of this book, importance of Jesus Christ. I want you to take a quick glance at this quote from a pastor, and he put it, this message this way. It says, to all those that wish to improve Christianity by mixing it with spiritualism, uh, with new age thinking, and with just other things, extra things, Colossians utters its warnings to us all. It says this, what Christ is and has done for us is enough. It's enough for salvation. We don't need any extras. To piece out the gospel with the rags and tatters of alien beliefs does not enrich it, it corrupts it. We don't need anything else besides Jesus Christ. 
He has done everything that we need and more. We don't need to add. We don't need all the different false teachings that you hear. You can read it. You can hear it. You can do a lot of different things with going out and finding some spiritualism today. But let me tell you, everything for the last number of thousands of years is only found in and through Jesus Christ. Pastor Jeff kicked off their sermon series last week by giving us an overview of of the book of Colossians and the first 14 verses. And here's a quick summary of what he said. Christ is supreme, first and foremost. And that is true. We're going to talk a little bit more about that supremacy here in just a moment. Because it's so very, very vital to our faith. But he said these three things. To pray for thanksgiving and for fruit. To pray for wisdom and a God-honoring life. And to pray for strength endurance, and patience. Because it's very important for those things, that foundation, as we get into chapter 1. And what Paul's really going to give us a message about a number of different things, but if we can't get the very first few points of first 14 verses, and then 15 through 29 is what we're going to cover, then it's going to be very hard to really take in what the rest of he wants to say to us over the next three weeks. So let's read Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 29. He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Christ, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we pray that this work of Jesus Christ works mightily within all of us today. May you be honored and glorified by your um, your body, your church today. May we go out, Lord, and be the church as we ought to be, and may you be 
supreme in our life. In Christ's name, amen. So as we read through the next number of verses, there's three different phases or three different themes that I'm going to kind of roll through as we unpack these last 14, 15, 15 verses. And here's the first one. And this is, I love how Paul uses this imagery to, to, to give us this. He says, it's the preeminent Christ, the preeminent Christ. Look how Paul rolls out the imagery when explaining the preeminent Christ. It's very good. He says, the image of the invisible God. See, he is, Jesus is God manifested, God, he, which means he is God fully revealed so we can know God. Isn't that awesome? We can know who God is. We want to know and see God and who this creator is. Then you know what? Get to know Jesus. Get to know him. And he goes on to say, he is the firstborn of all creation, which means this, he is top priority. He is it, the top rank. He's the top dog. He is supreme. There's no one else. And by him, all things were created. And I love this about this creation. Because by Jesus, all things were created. You see, he is God. Jesus is God. Jesus was not created. He was not created. He created. Everything has its reason and purpose for the benefit of Jesus. You say, may I ask, well, what purpose and what benefit and what reason is that? And I can tell you, I can't answer those because I'm not God. But Jesus is, and all things are created by him and through him. He holds all things together. And it really astonishes me as we get to know Jesus and as we start looking at creation itself. I usually am in awe and wonder at his creation. Think of a few things like this. It's your skin is the largest organ in your body, and it's constantly regenerating. You shed about a million cells a day. You see, it protects you from bad things coming in, but it also keeps you hydrated. It allows excess moisture to be released. Your skin takes care of you. God, who thinks of that? Who does that? God does. From end to end, the blood vessels in an adult's body, if you line them up and, and from end to end, it would circle the equator four times. That's how amazing God's brain is or, or who he is. Here's, a, here's the last one. A single human chromosome contains about 20 billion bits of information. How much information is that? Well, pretty much this way. If we were to take the information in those, that 20 bits of information and put it down into books, it would take about 4,000 volumes in one chromosome. God's the smartest. He's the greatest. And all things were created in Jesus, by, for Jesus, and he fits all things together. He is before all things. He is the one that holds all things together. He is the head of the body of the church. So why is Paul telling us this? What, what, what point is he getting to? Well, as verse 18 tells us, he says this, so that he himself will have come to first place in everything. Is Jesus preeminent to you? Is he first place in your life? And you see, and Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. You see, he's preeminent. You know what preeminent means? It means this. 
He is uncomparable. He is unrivaled. He is unmatched. When he's unmatched, there's none greater. There's none greater than Jesus Christ. There is none that's comparable to him. He is unequaled. means means he has no equal. There's no one that even can even take an inch to him. He is unrivaled. He's the ultimate. He is the one, the true, the um, amazing, supreme Lord. Jesus is it. You see, what, what it pleases the Father, when we go back and look in verse 19, it, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. Here was that fullness means. Fullness means is this, that all power, all things that are contained, that were created, everything, all authority, all kings, all kingdoms, has its fitting together through Jesus Christ. Nothing happens in this world without God knowing about it or without it being allowed by the Lord. And not everything is fitted together and joined together and completed through Jesus Christ. We're getting to this point of He is supreme. He is preeminent. And because He is preeminent, because He is supreme, He's the only one, as Paul goes on to say in verses 20 to 22, He's the only one that can able, is able to rescue us and to reconcile us from our sin. Verse 20, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Verse 22, he goes on to say, to reconcile us through his death in order to present us holy and blameless without reproach. Thank the Lord. He is the only one. He is the truth. There is no one higher, no one mightier, and no one better. He is supreme. He is preeminent Christ. And He is worthy of my life's praise and your life's praise. So, before Paul goes any further in the rest of this chapter or in chapter 2 or, verses, or church at chapter 3 or chapter 4, if we cannot get and really comprehend and really get established the preeminency of Jesus Christ in our life, then all those other things... It's going to be really hard to fathom, really hard to take in, and really hard to do. We must get founded in our faith that Jesus is supreme, that he is preeminent. So, if you are at that place where maybe he is not supreme, maybe he's not first place, maybe he is not top priority in your life, then you're basically fighting this faith battle on your own. And let me tell you, the battle is futile. It's very hard. We have to have Jesus Christ preeminent in our life. And here's the second thing, the preeminent church. You might be saying, well, you mean the foundation church, man. That's the preeminent church. I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's, that's true. But what I'm really getting at is this, is the body of Christ, not just foundation church, even though that's good. The preeminent church is the body of Christ. And as Paul was getting through, he, he talks about this church. And as Christ is head over the church, and we say this often around here and other places, but let me say this, is that the church itself is, is an organism. It is not an organization. The church is an organism. You say, well, what is that? What does that even mean? You see, the church, we are living, breathing, a mobile unit of group of people working together for Christ the King for the kingdom's sake. That's what we are. It's not some organizational um, thing where we get our membership and go to and we check in and check out and do things. It's not transactional. It's relational. 
It's not my kingdom. It's not your kingdom. It's Christ's kingdom. This is why we're here, unified by one body, one spirit, one Father, Lord of all, unified for a kingdom movement. So if we want, if we want to have a preeminent church and do some preeminent things, Christ must be preeminent ahead of all. What does it say, Paul said? That he is head of the church, head of the body. So there's two things we look at what a preeminent church looks like. And here's the first thing. It's a serving church. In verse 24, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body. What's Paul saying? I'm doing my share. He said, that's that's simple, but guess what that also means? You have to do your share. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of the kingdom, you're part of the body, you have something, you have to share in this um, movement. You have to share in the work and the serving of the body. God has created you to do something for him. Being part of the body that Christ is the head of, look what it says in verse 25. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God. You say, well, that's a funny word, stewardship. Stewardship means this. It means management. It means administration, like governing. I managed a restaurant a long time ago, and I know that managing um, can be a little bit more difficult. I can't imagine managing the entire world. <laughs> but God does it awesomely. He, he manages, he has formed you, he has made you to fit into the body of Christ to do something awesome for himself. He's in charge and he's given everybody responsibility to serve and to do something for him. And here's the second thing. As we see a serving church, we also see a speaking church. As Paul was made a minister, and he goes on to talk that, hey, if this mystery that has been hidden from the past ages now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known was the riches, the glory, the mystery of the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him. What? You proclaim him. What does that mean? You must speak Jesus. You're a believer. You have an opportunity to speak Jesus. Well, what does speak means? It means like to convey information. And you may not realize this, but you are conveying information whether you know it or not. You are. And for some people, <laughs> the conveying of information not be good. <laughs> Sometimes you speak audibly or not audibly. It may not be the greatest information that you share. But you are sharing, you are conveying a message each and every day. But, G, but what Paul's telling us is we need to be conveying and speaking Jesus. If he is preeminent in your life, then he must be the top priority of what your life speaks. There should be an amen in there somewhere. Amen. Your life should resemble and imitate Christ. Amen. You need to be the light, of this, light to the world. Is Christ preeminent to you? You will serve and you will speak Jesus Christ. And when we do these things, it's an other-centric thing. We're not doing it for my behalf or your behalf. We're doing it for others' behalf, as Christ did. We're serving others. We're speaking to others. Sometimes we get caught up in just the me thing, but Jesus came because he was other-centric. You and I need to be others-centric, not self-centric, not self-centered. So what does God desire of us? It's about others, which leads to our last point. Our last point is this. This will take up a few minutes. Our last point, we talked about preeminent Christ. We talked about the preeminent church. 
we're going to talk about this preeminent call. We have a preeminent call on our lives by the one who has saved our lives. And there's a few quotes I want to run through, and here's the first one by K. Arthur. K. Arthur said this, and this is pretty direct. K. Arthur said this, if you don't plan to live the Christian life totally committed to knowing your God and to walking in obedience to Him, then don't begin. For this is what Christianity is all about. It is a change of citizenship, a change of governments, a change of allegiance. If you have no intention of letting Christ rule your life, then forget Christianity. It's not for you. He's like, well, that's pretty direct. That's pretty harsh. Well, here's what Jesus says. Look, take up your cross and follow me. Leave yourself behind. This is your, you've been saved. This isn't about you anymore. It's about me. And what, 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 when Jesus says some things about obedience to himself, people get it. Paul, got, Paul gets it. And what K. Arthur is saying is, look, you've been saved. Your citizenship changes from earth to heaven. Your allegiance changes from yourself to this world to him. Here's the next quote. It has come to be a dreadful common belief that in the Christian church, the only man who has a call is the man who devotes all his time to what is called ministry. Whereas, all Christian service is ministry. And every Christian has a call to some kind of ministry or another. What is he saying? He's saying basically, look, ministry is not just for the pastors and the ministers who are called into vocation ministry. It's for everyone. Everyone has a ministry to do. Here's another one by Charles Spurgeon. <clears throat> I love Charles Spurgeon this morning. <laughs> you never hear what Jesus, what, you never hear Jesus say in Pilate's judgment hall one word that would let you imagine that he was sorry that he had undertaken so costly a sacrifice for us. When his hands are pierced, when he is parched with fever, his tongue dried up like a shard of pottery. When his whole body is dissolved into dust of death, you never heard a groan or a shriek that looks like Jesus is going back on his commitment. Not one time. But let me say this to you, neither should we. He is a preeminent Christ. We are his preeminent church. We are committed to him. We owe him again our life's praise. We owe him our everything. How committed are you? How, is pre how preeminent is Christ in your life? Is he supreme? Is he top priority? Paul understood this. He was compelled to be committed to Christ. But why was Paul so committed? Why was he so committed? And we're going to this task that we're going to see in verses 28 and 29, it all goes to what Pastor Jeff noted last week. He talked about this last week about this fruit-bearing believer that we are to be, that God calls us to be. And we see in the, in the first 14 verses of Colossians 1. And he discussed, Pastor Jeff discussed this last week about this faith and this hope, which leads to some fruit-bearing in a Christian's life. And I'm not really sure if we, as some people, really comprehend or really grasp how marvelous salvation is and the propensity of the result of man's sin, of your sin. 
Here's another quote. Take a look at this quote. It's by Tim Keller. Listen to what Tim Keller says here. He says, unless you believe in hell, the place of God's absence, you will never know how much Jesus loves you and what he went through for you. Now let me repeat that again. Unless you believe in hell, the place of God's absence, you will never know how much Jesus loves you and what he went through for you. And that is so true. It's why when Apostle Paul was saved and he was born again, his life was drastically changed because his mindset, his devotion, his allegiance was totally radically changed for the sake of the gospel. He was once a murderer and wanting to entrap Christians, and now he's radically changed to help propel Christianity. Who does that to somebody? Who radically changes someone? Preeminent Christ does. Preeminent Christ does. And that is who he is. It's why Paul was so compelled and how he really firmly believed in what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, and in parts of 8. I'm going to read it here. This is what he says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince, the power of the air, of a spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, <clears throat> we too formerly walked, or formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of, our, um, of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, thank the Lord, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then it jumps down to verse 8 where he talks about this even more. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Thank goodness. For those that are listening or watching online, do you get what Jesus did for you? Does it sink in? Does it begin to sink in? Because it did for Paul. Apostle Paul, he understood that. Because when Jesus made this statement in John 14, 15, he says, look, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. You will keep my commandments. Mm. You see, the, many people, we like to look at Jesus' commands or his words. And a lot of times we'll look at it and say, you know, we'll kind of throw a clause in there. Like, for instance, we'll, they'll throw a clause in here. Um, if you love me, and then you can choose, you can choose to keep my commandments. But that's not in there. That clause isn't in there. It says, if you love me, then you keep my commandments. And Paul got that. So when Jesus says, you know what, go into all the world and preach the gospel. When he says the great commission, Paul's like, okay, then I got to do that. Why? Because um, he's preeminent Christ. He saved me from my sin. I'm, he totally got the whole salvation story. It really took hold of him. So I guess the question is, is for you, is he preeminent to you? Does him saving your soul mean something to you? How are your listening skills? We, 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 see, we, we read the scriptures every week here, and you get into small groups and things, and we, we hear the words being spoken by Scripture, but do you hear them? I'll give you a quick story about listening. Um, here's a story by of the President Franklin Roosevelt. And this is a story I've told of him, of President Roosevelt. He often endured long receiving lines um, at the White House. And uh, 
He complained that no one really listened or paid attention to what he said. <clears throat> so one day during a reception, he, just, he decided to try an experiment. To each person who passed by in this receiving line, he would shake their hand, and to each person he would murmur, I murdered my grandmother today. So the guests, as they walked by, they responded with phrases like this, marvelous, keep up the good work. We're proud of you, sir. <laughs> God bless you. Great job. It was not to the end of the line while greeting the ambassador of Bolivia that his words were actually heard. The ambassador leaned over to President Roosevelt and whispered to this to him, I'm sure she had it coming. Oh, maybe so. I don't know. But the fact is, is someone actually listened. Are we listening? Do we actually hear Jesus' words? Do they affect our life? When he says, I come to seek and save that which is lost, does that mean something to you? When he says that I've overcome and you can overcome, that you don't have to worry about eternity because I've got you taken care of, does that mean something to you? When he says things like, look, peace be still, calms the waters, he's God, does that mean something to you? When he says, then the commands, keep, if you love me then, keep my commandments, does that mean something to you? When he says, the great commission, all believers go into all the world, preach, make disciples, go evangelize, and, and then I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. Does that mean something to you? Because see, to Paul it did. To Paul it did, it affected him. Paul listened and he obeyed the commands of Christ. And we're going to, we see this played out in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, 28 and 29. Because you know why? Christ was preeminent to him. Look what he says. We proclaim him in verse 28, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom and teaching um, and so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also I labor, striving according to his power, which worketh mightily, works might within me mightily. Listen, Paul, he at the call from Christ. And when we read this, do you know what this sounds like? <clears throat> you know what this sounds like? Sounds like the Great Commission to me. Paul was obedient. We must proclaim him. The truth of Scripture must come out of us to confront the false teaching of this world, to confront the false religion, the, the sin in our life and to others, the untruths given in that day. As believers, we grow in Christ. We help others grow in Christ. We're going to talk about this and what this looks like. What does obedience look like in your life? Are you obeying Christ's commands? So we're going to unpack this real quick over the next last few minutes. Here's the first thing we see is admonishing every man. That's a funny word, right? Admonishing. What does admonishing mean? A permanent call requires obedience in and to admonishment. It means this, to, to exhort, to give friendly, loving warning, advice, and encouragement. <clears throat> He's like, I can do that. Let me, let me repeat this again. It's friendly <laughs> and loving advice and encouragement in a biblical way that honors the Lord, that you receive and you can give. We admonish each other for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, 
not for some personal thoughts or points of view. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to admonish, exhort, give godly biblical counsel and encouragement to one another. Paul stating that, look, here's the thought. Let's live life together and help each other do it. When others are down, let's pick each other up. Let's pray for one another. Let's do some things. So what does it mean to, to admonish? Like I, I would do with my kids. Um, watch your step. Don't touch that hot stove. Hey, don't date that person. Hey, watch what you say. Let's pray together. Let's go to church together. How can I help you? Or, you know what? I love you. We need to admonish each other for the sake of the kingdom. Here's another word. Teaching. A preeminent call requires obedience in and to teaching. <clears throat> teaching, this word in the Greek means this, to instruct and to preach. It's like, wow, it's pretty big. That's a pretty big definition. What he's really, Paul is really saying is this, is to help them learn. We talked about the, the living and applying to doing. Now they're helping them learn. Basically, admonishing is helping them live, and teaching is helping them learn. What does this sound like to you, the Great Commission? Go teach and obey, help them to obey everything that Jesus commanded them. Go show, go do, go help them grow. And what we really see here is the, the, the Great Commission being borne out. It's discipleship and evangelism together. It's not compartmentalized, you do this and I do this. It's like we all have a part to play in this role. But what are we doing this for? Why are we admonishing? Why are we teaching? Why are we doing this? Why? Glad you asked. At the end of verse 28, this is what Paul says. To present every man complete in Christ. You say, well, I can't do that. No, but the Holy Spirit can. It doesn't mean we'll be com perfectly complete at this side of heaven, but it means that we're supposed to grow and mature. This word complete means to perfect, to bring maturity. We're to proclaim Christ. Why? To help people, the point of it is to help people learn Christ and to live Christ. To help them learn Christ and to help them live Christ. You won't learn everything about the Bible or Christ in a year. It's a life journey. You won't know how to live out the commands of Christ in one year. It's a life journey. So Paul was intentionally, I don't like that word intentionally, I use it a lot, intentionally living his life, as Pastor Jeff noted last week, in a manner worthy of the Lord. And we are called to do the same. The same. Are you admonishing? Are you teaching to help people become complete in Christ, not for an agenda, not for your own personal gain? But, he goes at the beginning of the verse 28, to proclaim Him, to grow in Him, to proclaim Him and to mature people. What are we doing? Years of preeminent Christ. As we get ready to close, there's a preeminent Christ, a preeminent church, and inside this, the, the body as a whole, we have a preeminent call. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone. Are you listening? Is Jesus preeminent to you? Are you obeying by fulfilling your preeminent call in your life? Maybe you don't know Jesus today. We're going to pray in just a moment, and I invite you to ask him into your life. Repent of sins 
and let Him be the Lord of your life. Let Him be the Savior of your soul. Here's our life lesson. Jesus is more than a feeling. That, that song, right? He is the preeminent relationship, which is evidenced in His church, His preeminent church, and in believers obeying His call. That's where He's evidenced, in His church and in believers' lives. What are we doing with that today? And if you can help with one of those things, please talk to one of us pastors or leaders. We have a kingdom work to do here. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you this morning, Lord, for who you are. I pray, God, that you just come into our lives. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us and redeeming us from our sin, for the salvation gift. And I pray if there's, not, if there's one today that doesn't know you, I pray that they come to know you today. To a salvation place, Lord, in their life. Maybe grow together. Maybe reach people together. Maybe help people mature in you together, Lord. For Lord, I pray that we leave here that you are preeminent to each and every one of us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Out of our seats and into the world. God bless you. Have a great week.